0: You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of News Talk 770. Welcome to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. I'm Herb Hamm. When people think about estate planning, they often think about wills and death. But for trust and estate planning specialist Sherry McMillan, the focus is very different. On the program today, Sherry draws on the wisdom of her in-depth experience to highlight the reasons why estate planning should really be about life planning.
1: And the reason for that is we have the appreciation for, for the now and many of us use that language you know we want to live in the present we want to live now and so we utilize our estate with our family at present and so there needs to be dialogue and communication and there needs to be discussion about what does that mean and so there's a sensitivity of course because it is the first time especially in North America not so much in the European countries but in North America it's the first time we've truly had wealth to share in generations and also to transfer and so there's a A different kind of dialogue that's going on, both in mom and dad's mind, but also with the children. And so there's this sensitivity of. Assisting the children while we're alive to see the blessing of that occurrence in their lifespan, but being careful not to destroy the self reliance of a child, neither by giving too much too quickly or being overly generous when they're not ready to take that responsibility on. So, the guide I always suggest to families is is you know your children more than anybody. Um, I don't care what the estate planner's credentials are. You, as the parent group, have the understanding and the dynamic of who your family unit is. So, there's a time and a place to share the wealth that you've created with your family and also to educate and steward your wisdom to those children so that when they do one day inherit larger values than they may have received in your lifespan, they actually have the understanding and aptitude to steward it well on their own behalf. And that's always a very tricky uh, position for mom and dad to decipher. What does that really mean?
0: And as Sherry explains, that challenge really underscores the importance of open communication because death, taxes, and money are often at the top of the list of topics that are least likely to be discussed within families.
1: And I would suggest that generations above us were very closed-lipped about how they were designing their estate or the very fact that they would not share it until they passed. That was a very common, traditional approach. You would hold your wealth in your own hand. You would use it for your own retirement. And when you're gone one day, you would then, in turn, transfer that wealth that's remaining over to the children. But because we have created more affluence today, what we're finding is parents really want to give a lift to their children early on in their career. So a very common uh, desire of many parents that we work with is that they'd like to help their children potentially buy their first home early in life so that it appreciates. And really, if you think about family's wealth as one big monopoly game, The fact is, it doesn't matter if you own every single property on the board as long as your family does. And so what you can gain by doing that is you're educating your children in your lifespan on the wisdoms that you have to manage their affairs appropriately. Also potentially in many families to manage not only assets and wealth, but sometimes family businesses. And this is a really big cornerstone in many families' wealth creation. I would suggest to you that most families need estate planning if they've started to create that seven-digit, that wealth um, size of an estate, and particularly those families that start that and commence that young, because the earlier they are in preparing their estate for their life expectancy, the more they can amplify it. So it's that ballooning effect of compounding that we really want to take advantage of. That being said, there's a few other groups that I really highly recommend do contemplate estate planning. Of course, they are not just the wealthy, but they're the families that have family business because family businesses are very tricky. They often have uh, core members of the family that are going to lean upon that business for their own care in retirement, and we also have to be careful that, you know, in modern society, we have the measure of divorce that occurs in in many families, and so you don't want to jeopardize, we call it the golden egg in a family business, but truly, that's what it is, and so if it's going to support the entire family unit through many decades of retirement, maybe first generation, mom and dad, and then the next generation, we have to be very conscientious about how we preserve and protect it.
0: We now move on to the estate planning challenges facing blended families.
1: The divorce rate in Canada is above 50% and so it's very very common that if we have an experienced a divorce that enters into our life and then we have a second relationship, often we may lose our spouse prematurely and then from choice we may select a new partner along the way. And so most of us are going to have more than one relationship through the course of our life, which is wonderful. But that being said, there's some complexities to that in your family's estate because often the core belief was if you create an estate, you create it for your use first and foremost for your retirement. But then of course you want to have that remain within your bloodline. You would like to transfer to your heirs at some point in the future. Unfortunately, our legislation has been written with protection of the dower rights, which is the spousal rights first and foremost before it considers or contemplates estate rights. And so one of the complexities for most of us is if we have entered a second relationship and many times the third, what is happening is we, we write a traditional will approach that says I give everything to my biological family, my children, and my new spouse gives everything to their own children. Technically, in law, that's not a legal plan. And so there's a lot of confusion in the general public out there that they have a good plan because it was drafted, let's say, by legal counsel. And I'm not saying it's not a valid will, but it's not valid from the Family Relief Act and from the Intestate Act in most jurisdictions across Canada. So what can happen is someone in good intention writes the draft and says, I give everything to my children, but that second family has claim to that estate before those children do. And you're seeing this more and more. Most people will lose their estate, very, very sadly to say this, in the last five years of life in that second relationship to non-family members outsiders that are not even part of their family. Thankfully, we are in Canada and we have legislations um, that we can utilize to safeguard and protect ourselves from these kinds of events happening. And so many of us just don't know we have these privileges and opportunities. And unfortunately, they're not the traditional thing we would think of, which would be a will. Alternatively, in Canada, what we use for what we call a blended family situation is a special technique called a trust. And what that does is it creates a separate family member for our family. And it's like the host of our family, and it's going to hold the asset base on behalf of the true family, the rightful heirs of those particular assets, like family cottage. It's a perfect example, because we do want that to remain in the bloodline. And more commonly today, uh, specifically farmlands, we're seeing that. And in addition, of course, the family business, because often it's the son or daughter that's going to carry on. And so we can't have that separated into the new blended family and lost.
0: So much of good estate planning is about preserving family harmony.
1: In fact, we have a slogan in our field and it says you really don't know anybody until you've shared an inheritance with them. And our true colors arrive on the scene when we're trying to share wealth and affluence and sentimental assets at a time of a peaked emotional state. So this is not when you're calm and rational. Of course, this is the time of loss. So what I always suggest to parents is, you know, this is an opportunity. It's a true gift that you're giving your family by having these kinds of conversations that are often tough to have, truly. But by having them in the present while you're here with authority and capacity, you can sort out those dilemmas that you might run up against. You know, maybe you have an antique car and both your sons would like to have it. Well, how do we sort that while well, everybody's calm and everybody's healthy and we find a resolution to it? So that is just part of the plan. And there's no surprise. There's no startling at that time. That's the most crucial in life. And so we have found through the years by being um, very assertive in these areas that could be Very sentimental or cause sensitivity to somebody that we find resolution with the authority of the parent that's here with us. Because there's nothing worse than your sibling. Telling you what mom and dad thought it should be.
0: And of course, a good estate plan takes issues like diminished capacity into account.
1: And the reason is if we live past the age of 85, 70% of us are actually going to use our living plan, not our will. And so, this is the documentation that we need to safeguard ourselves, to protect our dignity, our quality of life, and our lifestyle. In generations above us, you know, people would die suddenly more often than not. You know, they'd have a, a stroke or a heart attack and they'd be gone. In modern times, that's not what's happening anymore. We are living prolonged uh, life expectancy in elder facilities. You know, their average is seven years right now. If that was to occur for you these documents actually govern not just end-of-life kind of decisions, which is what is obvious. More importantly, they govern our actual quality of life. Do we stay, for example, in Alberta or are we transferred out to Ontario where the kids live? Um, Can we visit our new husband? And I know that might sound strange and not obvious, but if you've appointed your own biological children and they don't care for your new spouse, they could prevent that from occurring. So, these are very sensitive practical things that people need to contend with when they're thinking about the stewardship of their care, when they're not really there to truly defend themselves and position themselves. And so it's a fundamental need that we all have to have thorough discussions and truly appoint who we can trust.
0: McMillan Estate Planning for Families. When we come back after this short break, more estate planning insights with Sherry Macmillan. This is The Strong Room.